Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Greetings, fans of the esoteric. It is I, Magenta. Oh, Bernard, take that out of your mouth. Bernard, drop it. Drop it. No, don't chew on the desk leg. Bernard, oh, you are naughty. Look at you, you've got gunge in your eyes. Come here, I'll dig it out. Maybe we should tell the viewers about the new puppy, my dear. Ah! His name might be causing confusion. Oh, do you think? Oh, yeah. Sorry, listeners. You might remember that Jean came to visit during the recording of our last episode. Well, it transpires she had a puppy concealed under her habit. Uh, She was dressed as a nun. Yes, and later that evening, she asked us to look after the puppy while she goes off and faces the papal assassins. Yeah, she didn't explain further than that. And the puppy's name is Bernard, because he's a Saint Bernard. Which is very unimaginative of Jean, isn't it? You're a bit of a saint too, though, aren't you, human Bernard? Oh, well, I don't like to brag, <laughs> well, but... that's uh, what the listeners keep saying. I don't know why. It's not well, like a Catholic or anything. Yes, yes, it's a mystery. Well, should we do a couple of letters and then embark on the penultimate chapter of the story, my dear? Yes, let's. Gosh, we're near the end, aren't we? Mm. Mainly because I skipped ahead so vigorously. I might have to give a few more details this time. But first... The letters. Letter time. Letter time. Letter time. All right, so how are we doing this, Bernard? It's from, uh, so this one's from, who's it from? Uh, Stella G. From Southern California, and uh, she wants you to do a Valley Girl accent. Yes, yeah, she gives I've got a fact about that. Oh, go do you on. you want to hear my fact? Go on, yes. So Valley Girl, so uh, you know Frank Zappa, musician? Yes. Well, he had a daughter called Moon Unit. Yes, yes. Yes, yes, he did. And uh, in the 80s, he did a song called Valley Girl that she spoke on, and it was uh, the origin of the idea of the Valley Girl accent. Good Lord, is that where that comes from? Yes. That's a very interesting factoid. Well, I'm very wise, Bernard. All right, so uh, I've got strict instructions here. Valley Girl voice. Uh, I will embark on the letter now. Greetings, Madame Magenta and Bernard from sunny Southern California. My problem is that I have turned 21 recently and I am in a bit of a dilemma. I don't know what to drink first. Perhaps I should start by saying that I have had alcohol before. I've had wine and beer and brandy before, but I've never had a cocktail and therein is my problem. Can you slash the spirits give me a hint as to what spirits I should be trying? Thank you very much. Spookily yours, Stella. G. P.S. I've also had the distinct feeling that I should get a tattoo, but I'm unsure whether I should trust the strange feeling or not. If it's not too much trouble, could you ask the spirits to give me a bit of advice on if I should give in to the instinct? Oh, you know what we're going to say. We're always going to say go for it. Oh, go for it. I mean, there's not many things. No, no, no. The spirits must answer this, Bernard. Oh, yes, of course. We are jumping the gun. Although, happy 21st, Stella. Yes. The key to the door. They say, which I've always found a bit sinister. I mean, a locked door you can only enter on your 21st birthday sounds like a fairy tale, doesn't it? One where you find out your husband's a mass murderer. (laughs) Anyway, as a Brit, 21 seems quite old to uh, start mixing your drinks, doesn't it? (laughs) It does. It does to us. Because sadly, British culture is baked beans on toast, Love Island and underage drinking, isn't it? And, And not just underage drinking, but ill advised drinking. Oh, to excess. How old were you when you first started imbibing, Bernard? Well, that's a good question, because I think sort of left to my own devices, my own kind of, I'm going to have a drink, 
Uh, I was about 14, I think. Yes, same here. Uh, and But looking back at, at some old family photos recently, uh, Christmas and so on, I think I was given a glass of wine with dinner at about seven, <laughs> which is probably a bit too young. How very French. It's exceedingly European, isn't it? What about you? When when did you start? What's what? Did you have any teenage horror stories about getting a bit too drunk? Oh, well, you know, I found myself in a pub at 14, wouldn't take my coat off because I was convinced that somehow coatless I looked 14. Oh. But with a big puffer jacket on, I looked 18. Which is mad, actually, because I'd padded myself quite thoroughly. Just to make absolutely sure you looked like a, a fully grown adult yes. woman. Yes, well, I had tissue paper double Ds, essentially. Good lord. And then didn't want to take off the old coat. Anyway, it worked. I had an archers and lemonade and panicked the entire night that I was going to end up in jail. What a relaxing <laughs> evening. Yes. But then, you know, from there, I, I learned to relax so that I was a regular... Royster Doister by about 16. I'm not saying you should do this, Stella. I mean, it's too late now anyway. You're 21. But there is a point to be had here, which is that you do drink too much too quickly when you're a bit too young. That's true, yes. Because you've got no idea what you're doing, so you just start going for it, don't you? Yes, you you don't know what's a sensible amount. You've no idea where your limits are. Yes, really, we should, uh, to be responsible, because drink responsibly, everyone. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Let's discuss cocktail choices and the implications therein. God, I'm responsible nowadays, aren't I? This is extremely responsible for you. Yes, so for your first session on the mixy drinks... Stella, avoid Long Island iced teas and anything with so much fruit you can't taste the booze. Because you need to take it slow. That's good advice, yes. And the only way to do that is to drink the more disgusting drinks. <laughs> yes. What are the what are the more disgusting drinks? Very bitter things. I think things you're not quite used to, so a really savoury drink. Bloody so, Mary. Like a gazpacho with four shots of vodka, that kind of thing. <laughs> yes. Because it, it makes you go, God, this is unnatural, and, uh, and you take your time. Extremely smoky whiskey, maybe. Yes. Oh, God, a vodka martini oh, with a load of brine in it. Oh, yes, like drinking an alcoholic oyster. Yes, God, yes. All right, anyway, let's ask the spirits, <laughs> as uh, joke Stella has already done. She's done it, but, you know, we might as well parrot it again. It's a very solid joke. All right, Bernard. So we've got the cat cards here. So spread them on the floor. Oh, we're doing this this method of yes, the cat card Yes, and then I'm going to point to one, because I'm the esoteric one. All right. And you're going to pick it up. Okay, I'm throwing them on the floor now. That one. All right. I assume and you were pointing to this one. It's quite hard to see. Two down. Two down. <laughs> the Heimlich manoeuvre. <laughs> There we go. It's just backing up what I said. Basically, you've got to feel like you're choking. It's so disgusting. It feels almost dangerous to drink. And you'll also start developing really sort of fancy tastes as well because you drink enough things like martinis and about two years down the line, you start enjoying it. Yes, and it's a bare shortcut to looking extremely sophisticated. Yes, and then you can bully your friends into trying it and then when they exclaim in disgust, you can be like, oh, it's like mother's milk to me. Yes, well, <laughs> it takes a long time for your palate to refine sufficiently yes. to enjoy it. You go and enjoy your, your Campari your, your soda. fruity silliness. <laughs> yes, which is part of the fun of drinking, I think. Definitely, making other people feel a bit silly about their choices. Yes, <laughs> which is part of the fun of life. All right, let's do tattoo divination. Oh yes, I've just said that. it wrong. Divination. Divination. <laughs> divination. Uh, all right, I'm going to point again, Bernard. All right, uh, which one are you going to go for? That one. This one here. Yes. One down. One down. Will be whatever Stella permanently etches onto her body. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> well, you know what that's saying, don't you? Face. 
facial tattoo. Oh, yes. Because mm. he wears, in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, for those of you who don't know, he wears a mask of human skin. Although he's got the option of removing it whenever he wants, isn't he? That's true. So maybe maybe it's saying a temporary tattoo on your face. Maybe if you uh, just sort of constructed a, a leather face. Then, then you, you could keep swapping around your tattoos. You could have several leather faces with different tattoos on them. Monday, I'm going to use this leather face, and it's the one that has otters tattooed on the forehead. Yes, very gentle tattoos. Tuesday, it's going to be the one of a dolphin on the leather face. Wednesday, the one that says no regrets. Yes. I suppose the nice thing about this system is that you, you aren't committed. You can toy around with the, the, the silly tattoos that you wouldn't necessarily want to get in, you know, in, in perpetuity, but you might think are quite funny in the moment. All right, we hope we've, uh, we've helped you with that, Stella. I didn't think it was terrible advice from the spirits there. No, construct your own leather face and put different tattoos on While it. While drinking a vodka martini. Very sophisticated. What an urbanite you are. Mm. So the next letter, this one's a bit weird, to be honest. Oh, what have we got here? So it's a returnee, Ryan. Oh, yes, this is Ryan with the, the pissy cat. Yes, pissy cat Ryan. So his accent is a chaotic hybrid of Welsh, Scottish and Irish with a tiny hint of Birmingham. <laughs> Sorry, Bernard, it All right. says in the letter. Yeah, representing uh, the, the British Isles and Ireland. All I right. reckon you just do one sentence of each. So start with Welsh, then do Scottish, then Irish and then Birmingham. That's very sensible. Yes. All right. Hello! So that's Scottish. That's Scottish. Mm. Long time no email. Welsh. Still dealing with an occasional pissy cat, but loads better than before. Irish. What was the third one? Birmingham. Birmingham. Fourth, fourth one, Birmingham. Now questions this time, but wanted your thoughts on this as I just read an article suggesting that magenta as a colour doesn't exist. And while my mind is now suitably blown, you were of course the first person I thought of, as I wonder whether this has any spiritual implications. What a shame that the longest sentence had to be done in a Birmingham accent. <laughs> it's actually the entire email is just the, in the end. Well, there's a few others. He says, love you, Ryan, he, so you uh, can go back I'll and go do... back to Scottish. Love you! And then, Ryan. There's Welsh. There Very nice, yes. All right, so uh, that was distracting, but he's saying, does the fact that magenta doesn't exist as a colour? How does it not exist as a colour? Surely we just point to... Uh, slightly mixed colours and call them a new colour, don't we? Yes. Well, so what's magenta? A sort of pinky red, It's a it? sort of a powerful pink, really, yes. If you think about what goes in your printer, magenta is one of them. Yes, if it's in the printer, how does it not exist? Of course it is. I've got a, I've got a big box of cartridges of it. I mean, words are just uh, assignments for things, aren't they? So you point at a thing, you say it's magenta... Bob's your uncle. It exists. I'd have thought so, yes. Which is a bit what I do. I, I bring things into existence by speaking them. You do. Like it's... solutions. I speak the solutions and uh, my listeners are duly blessed. They're very powerful words, especially words that come out of your mouth. So there you go, Ryan. I think you wanted a more philosophical debate than that, but I'm not up to it today. Well, I think it's fairly, fairly open and shut, that one. Magenta definitely exists. And if it didn't, well... That's fine. I'm not going to cease existing. Although I will one day. Although energy never destroys itself or uh, ceases to... Something like that. I don't know. It's physics. Uh, yeah, something or other like that. Energy. Oh. You can't get rid of en energy. You can't get rid of energy. Yes, that's it. What about when you're a bit tired? You've got rid of energy then. What about if you do a really vigorous workout session? I, I suppose you can then. get rid of your own energy, but energy cannot be truly destroyed. That's oh, the... yes, I suppose you're sending out heat waves. You know, you're doing a good workout. Yes. You're getting rid of the energy and it's turning into sweat. Leaking back into the universe. Yes, yes, yes. It's very give and take, isn't it, Bernard? What about, what about that, um, uh, the, the, the shrimp, the mantis shrimp? 
Does he do a lot of workouts? Oh, I'm sure. Well, yes, actually. They're, they're famously um, uh, very violent. <laughs> they, Are they? They fight all the Is time. Is that what they're famous for? Yeah, well, they're famous for, for other things as well. But uh, interestingly, they do a lot of workouts because they fight and they break their way out of aquariums quite a lot. That's do they really? Yes, they're quite quite layering. What, through the glass? Yes, they break the glass with the big how claws. They, how big are these things? I was thinking of like a, the shrimps you get in a sandwich. Well, no, they're quite big. They're sort of uh, not quite lobster size. Big but as your arm? Big, big as your forearm, I think. Are yeah, you joking? No, no, they're big. It's not like a prawn. But they're all... That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> no. But see, you see pictures of them and they're gorgeous as well, aren't they? They're very pretty. They're very beautiful, yes. Normally the gorgeous colours. things are tiny. No, no, they're quite big, mantis shrimp. But more to the point, uh, we've got sidetracked there, talking about how they're leery bastards. But they're also leery coloured as well. And they can see extraordinary amounts of colours. Something like, what was it? Humans have three colour cones in their I'm eyes. I'm sorry, I keep thinking of a forearm-sized shrimp beating its way out of an aquarium. It's quite a visual, isn't it? I, I want to see a video a of this. A multicoloured forearm. I want to get one. Let's, let's get a couple of mantis shrimps. I'm sure we can get our hands on some oh, of those. What if they ate the cats? Oh, God. Yes. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure that the cats aren't anywhere near them. Hmm. But they're quite interesting creatures for lots of reasons. And, and the most imp interesting reason is that while humans have three colour cones in our eyes, red, green and blue, the mantis shrimp has uh, 12, I think. You know, I'm pretty sure we've talked about mantis shrimps before on this programme. But you probably. have never told me that they were as big as your forearm. They're big. They're big. I can't believe you'd leave that out. That's like talking about a lizard and then going, oh, by the way, it's Godzilla-sized. <laughs> it's quite, it's a, quite an important aspect. It changes the way you think of them, doesn't it? They, they become innocent a lot more terrifying because they're huge and they can break their way out of aquariums. Huge and fabulous. As well as seeing a colour spectrum that's like the James Webb Space Telescope. Maybe that's what they're, they're beating their way out of aquariums to go and do. Oh, well, g g conduct important research. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, exactly. I mean, good. I mean, they're very well equipped to do so, so maybe they should be encouraged. Anyway, Not... I think we should get on with the story, shouldn't we? Well, that was quite a sidetrack yes. there, but uh, very interesting creatures. Look them up. Google them. Yes. And Frank Zappa too. Yes. So, Let's recap the story. Me, Human Bernard and Maybelline were stood in a triangle, knee-deep in a peat bog. Well, Maybelline wasn't. She was hovering above the bog and green smoky light was pouring from her mouth. So what were we doing, you may ask? Yes, we did have some emails asking for clarification. Which is good, because it means people are paying attention. Quite. And they are confused. I suppose I did skip about a month in the story. Yes. So let's go back a bit. So... From the moment we found out about the curse, we had a very limited amount of time to reverse it, as it was due to befall me on my birthday, three days hence. So we tried to summon the demon Glandiform to command him to remove the curse, but normal demon summoning practices just didn't work. Old Glandy was immune to our summoning due to his awesome and terrifying power. Thus we dithered, we panicked, and basically we completely failed to come up with a solution before my birthday. And when the fateful day arrived... I don't know why I said it like... <laughs> the curse had its wicked way with me. My soul was flung into a garden gnome, no. leaving my body crumpled on the floor like a used tissue. It was horrible. Luckily, Bernard was able to sense where my soul had gone due to our incredible connection. Hashtag couple goals. And before my body could disintegrate and leave me trapped in the garden gnome, Bernard grabbed it and smashed it yeah. so that my spirit could grope its way through the ether and back into my body. Which did actually happen, luckily. Yes. Oh, it was traumatising not knowing if it would work. And then, then it happened again, an hour later. 
Your soul was catapulted into a tea light in the shape of a smoking Buddha. Then I had to repeat the process. And then every hour from then on, the curse rebooted, removed my soul from my body, and Bernard had to quickly identify which ornament I'd found myself in and smash it. Very hard on the nerves, let me tell you. And after a few days of this, sense, grab, smash, round the clock, I started hallucinating from lack of sleep. Thankfully, Maybelline came to the rescue and took the night shift. Turned out that she could also sense where Magenta's spirit had gone because of her own esoteric powers and the family connection. And then we figured out that you just went into the nearest ornament every time, so that was very handy. Yes, when we figured that out, I just carried an ornament around. But it's no way to live one's life, is it? So no. we needed a more permanent solution. And thus we went in search of a really muscular demon-summoning ritual, one that Glandy would have to respond to. And we found it. So that's nice. And that's where we rejoin the story. Well, shouldn't we say how and where we found the extra special demon summoning ritual, dear? Oh, it's always just a big dusty book, isn't it? Or from the mouth of some weird old crone who lives down a well and imparts secrets for a price. Who cares about that? The listeners might want to know about the weird old crone who lives down a well and imparts secrets for a price. No, once you've met one weird old crone who lives down a well, you've met them all. But the listeners might never have met one. Well, lucky them then, because they're very cryptic and they cackle in a most unnerving fashion. And don't get me started on the price of the secrets. That little invoice will come home to roost soon enough. I'll tell you that. Put some dark music there, Bernard. All right, yes. Anyway, so there we were in the peat bog. <laughs> I knew a chap called Pete Bog. Did you? No. no. So there we were in the peat bog, doing what the crone had told us to do, when green light poured from Maybelline's mouth, which I have actually told you already, but never mind, I'll say it again, and it coalesced into a figure. The figure... Of Glandifor. Which was different for all of us, as this particular type of demon takes the shape of the person you least want to talk to. Yes. I mean, for me, there's quite a lot of competition for that role. So my version of Glandiform kept flickering and changing into different people. It, it was basically a procession of every next-door neighbour I've ever had, even the nice ones, some of them trailing a wheelie bin. How did Glandiform appear to you, Bernard? Yeah, as your ex-husband. Yes, that makes sense. Now, shall we read from my diary? You do the voice of Glandiform, Bernard. Make him sound like a next-door neighbour, will you? And uh, put all right, spooky yeah. music on. Yes. Actually, let's go back a wee bit to just before Glandy appears. OK. Uh, where yes. are we? Where are we? Flicky pages, flicky pages sound. Ha-ha! Into the darkness I uttered the incantation. I've said incantation. That's yes, it's right, a very posh it? pronunciation. <laughs> Good stuff. Into the darkness I uttered the incantation, taking a wild stab at the correct pronunciation. <laughs> I tell you what, it's not easy when the language has been dead for several thousand years. It's not easy when it's your yeah, own What about the, the, own, <laughs> the English language? <laughs> an angel once told me that I speak ancient text with an accent like a sausage merchant from Babylonia, which I think was supposed to be an insult. Anyway, I came to the end of the incantation, uttered the last syllable, Nothing happened. Bernard gave a little moan of anxiety and glanced at his watch. Do a moan? No. He wasn't being rude. Rituals take bloody ages, and we were all aware that it had been some time since I'd last been zapped into an ornament. I had a hedgehog toothbrush holder in my pocket in preparation, but I was very worried what would happen to the summoning triangle if I left my body mid-right. There was a tiny possibility that it would allow the demon to break through, manifest itself physically on this plane, and wreak even more havoc. It didn't work. 
He's not here, Maybelline said after a few moments of silence. Although something was happening as she was hovering above the surface of the bog and her words were accompanied by little puffs of green-tinged smoke. Try again, dear, said Bernard to me. I repeated the last bit of the incantation, this time putting the stress on the first and eighth syllable of the final word and adding a Spanish rolled for good measure. And what do you know? It worked! The puffs of green smoke turned into a stream of light which filled the triangle. And then the light turned solid, morphing into the neighbour from when we lived in North London who called our cats little f***ing bastards because they shat in his garden. How darest thou summon me like I'm some sort of minor demon or something? Roared Glandiform, thumping the lid of his wheelie bin so that it buckled and one of the wheels popped off. What dost thou want, peasants? Bernard glanced at his watch again. Oh, yes, it's very, very good neighbour voice. Yes, Bernard. that neighbour voice. They all sound like that, don't they? Hello! Yes. Bernard glanced at his watch again and winced. We want you to stop this silly curse. We command you, I snapped. We will pay the price of the weird old crone who lives down a well and imparts secrets, and thus do we command you to break the curse instantly and henceforth. It's always good to stick in a thus and henceforth when you're talking to demons. At my words, chains of green light writhed around Glandiform's flickering figure. The neighbour who was very over-friendly and always seemed to be in their front garden so you felt like you couldn't leave the house without being forced into a conversation, hissed and strained against them. Which curse is that? He shrieked irritably. The one you put on our bloodline! Shouted Maybelline, rising another foot above the peat. The one that consigned me to an ornamental bowl for two hundred years! What bloodline is that? He said slyly, holding the Amazon package that he'd accepted on our behalf and then spent three weeks holding on to. I think mayhap I'll have to taste it before I know. Taste it? Fine. Sighed Maybelline. Anyone got a knife? You're in the wrong body, Maybelline, I pointed out. If we're doing this, it'll have to be my blood. Oh, is this necessary? Said Bernard. I don't like it. Nor did I, of course. Oh God, it's always the most disgusting part of a TV programme or movie. You know, when a character ritualistically slides a blade down the palm of their hand in some god-awful bloodletting ceremony. And I just think, that has to be the worst place to cut yourself. It'll keep opening every time you flex your hand. <sighs> anyway, so I pulled the ornamental dagger from one of my robe's many pockets while Glandy watched, hunger in his rapidly changing eyes. I'm just going to prick my finger, I said. It'll just be a drop. You don't need more than that. Spoil sport, he pouted. Before I could overthink it, I pricked the end of my thumb and squeezed a droplet of blood into the triangle. I said, feeling queasy. Before the droplet could hit the ground, a tongue darted out of Glandy's mouth and caught it mid-air. A very long tongue it was, like a pepperami. Oh, we should get them as a sponsor. Oh, yes, we should. Pepperami. He said, having withdrawn said tongue into his mouth. Ah, yes, I know you. So your bloodline is still going, is it? Hmm. I had assumed a line that breeds such objectionable women would die out. Well, no accounting for taste. He said, glancing at Bernard. Yep, happy to cancel the curse. You are, I said, shocked. God, yeah, I can't believe I didn't cancel it ages ago. Curse is a finite and things are pretty tight right now. Great said Bernard. Amazing, said Maybelline. And I didn't say anything at all. Because at that moment, I was inside my own pocket in the form of a hedgehog toothbrush holder. <gasps> well, I think we'll stop there for now.
Yes, it's not over yet. No. Just when you thought we'd wrapped it all up nicely. No, this could drag on forever. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. It's, we're going to wrap it up very soon, so keep your ears pricked and your thumbs pricked. Yeah, yes, although always make sure that you've sterilised the uh, implements the, that you're yes, using yes, to. If you're going to do any bloodletting, oh yes. be careful. Yes, those ornamental daggers, you leave them sort of hanging around, not doing anything for ages. Because you don't want to chop the onions with them, do you? No. But they do gather dust and, you know, your cat walks on them with his shitty paws. Oh. And all kinds of things. So do give them a wash before you use them. Yes. All right, we'll say goodbye for now. Goodbye for now. Goodbye. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Space Podity. An actual play D&D Spelljammer podcast. In Space Podity, four adventurers visit the worlds and vex the GMs of other actual play shows. Keep listening for a sneak peek and please subscribe so you don't miss the first episodes set in the campaign of the long-running Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Acting Captain's Log. We've crashed our flying birdbath mansion. Long story. The party of groundling adventurers on board is kind and heroic, but untrusting, and is staring at me. It consists of a traumatized minotaur. You want to see traumatized? A spooky Asimar child. I'm an adult An adult Asimar child, whom I suspect to be enthralled by a hidden power, and the most headstrong elf I have ever met. And that includes Rascal Gar, the cataclysmically reckless, from the former Arajanon Zed. Sounds fun. Also, the mansion's kitchens are out of ale. How am I going to function? Space Podity. Find us wherever your podcasts are.